Worst person you know. Think about it. Come on, evil. Somebody you're really afraid of. Or maybe it's a kind of people. Who? Who's the worst person you know? People, someone who even God couldn't reach. Somebody impossible. Ah. Worst person you know. Well, I'm worse. I'm eviler. I'm badder than the worst person you know. I, I was like a, a ferocious animal. Just after people. Just, just trying to, to go after them and, and, and throw them in jail and, and kill them if they wouldn't change. And I, I supervised killing. Stephen, I killed him. I was part of it. I said, yes. And here's the thing. I thought it was the best person I knew. I mean, I was a descendant of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his son Benjamin and, the, and the, named after the greatest Benjamite Saul. I was a Pharisee. I'd studied. I had committed myself. I was following the law as carefully as possible. I was doing everything that God commanded us to do. Not only was I doing everything God commanded us to do, I was making sure everybody else was doing what they needed to, and we, and we were teaching people how to be holy. And then people got distracted, and they were, they were, they were, they were, this heresy came in, and they were distracted by this false Messiah. And so I was out to stamp out that heresy. I had been successful in Jerusalem. I had stamped it out. People were running away, and then I realized they were running away. They were going, some were going up to Damascus. And I thought, you know, if they infect Damascus, they can get anywhere from there. So I went to the high priest. I got orders, and I was off to Damascus to stamp out this evil. Because I was so good. I was so right. I was following God. And then, and then, there was this light, blinding light, and this voice spoke my name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I, I, who are you, Lord? That I'm Jesus. Who you're persecuting. I mean, Jesus was dead. How was he talking to me? And how was I wasn't touching him. I was just dealing with these heretics. How was he? But he said, I was persecuting. I said, what, what do you want me to do? Because I realized he was Lord. And in that moment, I realized I was blind. And then I, I was blind. And I went into, into, into Damascus, and I just, I just fasted and prayed and, and sought to understand what was going on and to try to follow this, this voice and this revelation of Jesus. I mean, Jesus himself showed up to me. I mean, you know that after his resurrection, he showed up to lots of people, but I was the last one. He really showed up 
to and said, Why are you persecuting me? And I sat there blind and confused, and for days I didn't eat, I didn't drink, I was just praying, wanting to know what I should do next. Jesus had confronted me with his overflowing grace. And then even greater grace. Jesus sent this good Jew named Ananias to come and talk to me and pray with me. I mean, if I was Ananias, I wouldn't have gone anywhere near me because I was not only evil, hateful, bad, I was after him. He was the one I wanted to throw in jail or see if I could kill. And he knew that. He wasn't dumb. <laughs> he knew what was happening. And yet, he was willing to come and be me, this evil person who was after him. And he prayed for me. And he... he he prayed for me. He said, the Lord wants to deliver you. The Lord wants to free you. And he's going to show you. He's chosen you as his vessel to go and be his messenger. He chose me to be a messenger to, to Jews and to kings and especially to the nations. To the others who weren't Jews. The, the, the Gentiles. And I had been chosen? So now I was confused, but he prayed for me and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I saw again. And he said, let's be baptized. I was baptized and I saw my, my brother, Ananias. And, and, I, and I was welcomed. And, and then I did go to the synagogue. I went right to the synagogue where I was planning to go. But instead of Going there to make sure that we rounded up all the Christians, I went there to preach the scriptures. Except now, everything looked different in the light of Jesus. Everything was totally different. I saw now that Jesus was the one who was prophesied. Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Son of God. And I, and I preached that, and I, and I, and I showed them, and all, all my training, it all made sense in a totally different way in the light of Jesus. Having met Jesus, encountered Jesus, witnessed Jesus, everything was different. Now I was no less zealous, no less um, wanting to, to, for the truth to be known, but I was not vicious anymore and trying to capture people. Now I was trying to show people what I'd witnessed. Witness to who I had seen. Tell, tell them about what had happened to me. Tell them about what I saw in the scriptures everywhere. Because it was all there. Of course, some people were just like me and they couldn't see it. And they were defending their own way and the way they'd always seen things. And they and they. they didn't want any part of me. In fact, it got so bad that they, they tried to kill me in Damascus. If I hadn't gotten word of it, I, anyway, they slipped me in a basket out the city wall so I could run away. I, who had come with orders to destroy things, was running away 
I wouldn't be destroyed or imprisoned or killed. Um, and that got to be kind of a pattern because everywhere I went, Jesus actually prophesied, he would show me how much I must suffer for his name. And I never, I never told people, hey, follow Jesus and everything will be fine. I told, I told Timothy, anyone who's going to follow Jesus is going to be persecuted. That's normal because we're going against the tie. Now, I want to clear up one thing. Some people talk about how I was converted in Damascus. I was never converted. There was no conversion. I'm, a, I'm still a Jew. Circumcised on the eighth day, Pharisee. I am a follower of Yahweh and all of the traditions of our ancestors. And I defended myself before the Sanhedrin, before the kings, and I said, no, I'm a faithful Jew. I'm following everything that has ever been taught. I was not converted. I'm still a Jew. I'm still a part of my people. Just that my people didn't like some of what I did, but I, I didn't convert to some other religion. I just saw Jesus. And I, I wanted people to know about Jesus and how, how that changed everything in the light of Jesus. Everything, everything is different. And the worst person like me, who you know, can receive that overflowing grace. I mean, this, this is what I told, I wrote one time to my, uh, I called him my son, Timothy, and I said, uh, in Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength to do his work, he considered me trustworthy. How could he consider me trustworthy? But he appointed me to serve him, to be his slave, even though I used to blaspheme in the name of Christ. In my insolence, I persecuted his people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. No, I didn't know I was ignorant. I thought I was so right. I thought I was believing, but how generous and gracious our Lord was. His grace was overflowing. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save the good people. Well, that's not what I told him. He came in the world to save sinners. And I'm the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. All glory and honor to God forever and ever. He is the eternal king, the unseen one who never ties. He alone is God. Amen. Yeah, I always believed that he alone was God, but... I never understood his grace like I understand it now, that it is enough for you. I mean, maybe when I said, who's the worst person you know, you said me. Because you know how worst you are. You know the evil and the sin in your heart like nobody else does. More likely, you're like I was. Well, I'm, I'm better than most people. But I was blind <laughs> to how much I needed God's overflowing grace. Grace enough for the worst. The worst person you know. Grace enough for you.
even in the worst parts of you. But I'm so grateful for Ananias. Because he welcomed me knowing I was the worst. And then I went, after some time in Arabia and Damascus, I went to Jerusalem. And you know what they did in Jerusalem? They hid. <laughs> Wouldn't you? They'd seen me in action in Jerusalem. And they'd heard some rumor off from someplace, but they were not about to risk their lives to see if a rumor was true. Except Barnabas. You know Barnabas, that son of encouragement. Barnabas sought me out. Barnabas talked to me. Barnabas heard my story. Barnabas listened to me. And Barnabas put his arm around me and took me to the leaders, to the apostles, to all the leaders of the church. And he introduced me. He said, he's a brother. Yes, he persecuted us. Yes, he threw us in prison. Yes, he did all that, but he's a brother. And they welcomed me, and we talked, and we, we, we shared, and it was, it was so wonderful to be welcomed by those who I persecuted. Jesus follows. I didn't realize that when I touched his followers, I was touching him. When I blessed his followers, I was blessing him. When I hurt his followers, I was hurting him. But it was so good to be welcomed, even though I was the worst. So God's grace overflowed not only from Jesus, who sought me out, but from Jesus' church, from Barnabas and Ananias, who sought me out. Even though I was evil, I hated them. I was out to destroy them. Even despite their fear, they came after me. They didn't just wait to see if I'd show up. <laughs> and I found my address, and well, God, Jesus gave my address, but he came right to my door, turning himself in, maybe, or getting a chance to pray with the new brother. What happened? But if it hadn't been for Ananias, Barnabas, I don't know what would have happened. But fortunately, they were there, and, the, and then you know that the church got a hold of that, and, and, and they, they feared God more than they feared prison or persecution or even death. And they feared God so much that they went after people like me. The worst. The worst. And it, it didn't mean that everything was fine. It didn't mean when I went and saw people it was fine. In fact, right there in Jerusalem, I went talking to the Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem just like Stephen used to do. And they turned on me just like they turned on Stephen. And I would have been killed right there, but they snuck me out of town and put me on a ship and sent me off to back to my hometown. I thought maybe I'd be safe in Tarsus. But I was safe. I was learning about Jesus. And then Barnabas came after me. Well, anyway, that's more of the story that I, you, we don't need to get into. But God, His grace 
Jesus sought me out. His church sought me out. His grace was enough for me. The worst. The most evil. Even eviler because I thought I was so good. But God was enough for me. He taught me how to have reverence for him, to obey him, to listen to him, to love his church, and to witness to all those other people not as bad as me, but kind of bad, people who had their own ways that needed to be, to see Jesus. I just had to witness to Jesus. Every place I saw him, all the things he did, everything he'd done, all the scriptures, how they made sense, I had to tell people about that. And, and, and there's always so much more to understand about Jesus and about what he could do for a sinner, an evil, awful person like me. Uh, so, I was feeling a little weak after my surgery. I thought maybe Paul could do part of my sermon. Um, of course, he wasn't called Paul yet, right? He's still Saul in Acts 9, where we are uh, reading. Um, and we'll talk later about how he ends up being Paul. He doesn't end up being Paul because he gets converted, because, like we said, he never got converted. He was always a Jew even though he was a Jew willing to talk to Gentiles and the nations. So, um, I've been uh, captivated by this, this story as I've gone farther and farther into it. And um, it's just some amazing stuff. And it, Ananias and Barnabas uh, strike me because, honestly, I prefer that people come to me. Uh, you know, if you're interested, let me know. But Jesus tells Ananias, go over to straight seat. Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument. Despite all of his objections, he says, go, and Ananias goes. Um, and Paul is just uh, amazingly transformed from a violent persecutor to a, a sufferer and a persecuted person who yet is so joyful. In prison, he's more joyful than he was when he was putting people in prison and uh, much humbler than he was. And I wonder sometimes if Jesus doesn't need to knock me off my high horse and, and uh, I will write, I think I am. Um, but it's all about Jesus, you know? Paul, it's about going and listening and obeying like Ananias did. It's about courage in the face of fear. It does say at the end here, the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Um, 
Did you think of somebody who was the worst, the most evil, the one you think is beyond hope? Or maybe it's a group of people that you think is beyond hope? Um, I've seen a few people who I thought were kind of, okay, 10th grade, maybe evil was a little exaggerated, but there's Scott sat behind me in typing class, and he uh, just pastored me all the time. He used to stick my, you know, flick my ears, and uh, just, you know, his words were also annoying, and he was just, he wasn't evil, but he was annoying. Um, and then one day he said, hey, aren't, aren't you a Christian? I went on this retreat at this other church, and I, and I, I got saved, and what, what is that about anyways? I was like, ah, well, yeah, I am a Christian, actually. <laughs> How'd you know? <laughs> um, and uh, we had the good, and he, he would often bring up, you know, I used to really bother you, didn't I? Um, but we became friends. Um, of course, my ancestors, the Vikings, they were the terrorists of the world until the slaves that they got converted them into the, uh, yeah, pretty generous now the Vikings are. Um, not the Minnesota Vikings, but you know, the uh, Scandinavians. Um, one of my students, who, uh, a couple of my students, um, whose name I, names I will withhold, both, both uh, Muslim backgrounds, in uh, Ethiopia, Muslim background believers, and uh, they were not interested, had no knowledge of Jesus in some ways. And it, I mean, of course, they knew of Isa, of the prophet, uh, they, they'd learned about him, but uh, not, in fact, uh, one of whom I will not say his name, he, he was actually in an Al Qaeda training camp. He was, it was an affiliate of Al Qaeda in Ethiopia. He was being trained to go to uh, Afghanistan, really, any place they could pick a fight and, uh, and do the stuff Al-Qaeda wanted to do. Part of their training, beyond uh, you know, physical training and weapons training and other things, was kind of apologetics training. So as part of that, they needed to learn how to refute uh, other, like Christians, for example. And so as part of that, they were reading Bible, to be able to refute all those things that are wrong about what they say about Isa in, in the Bible. But he got captivated by Jesus. He met Jesus in the Gospels. And he was hiding in his blanket, reading the Injil, the New Testament, what it said about Jesus. And he decided to follow Jesus. And it was kind of a miracle to get out of the the, uh, the camp, another sort of unrelated incident, he was about to get shot by somebody who, uh, he and his partner were there, and he said, okay, shoot me, but please give this message to my mother uh, so that she knows what happened to me. And the guy who was going to shoot him turned and shot his partner and said, well, that's my aunt, so I won't shoot you. Um, he shot his partner and said, but there's no other way out. He didn't seem like, so anyway, he'd been through a lot, and people... They actually planted over a hundred churches of people who were Muslims, but who were now following Jesus. People who didn't necessarily convert from being Muslims, but they were still following Isa according to Scripture. Now, how they identify, how they change, this is, a, this is a matter of debate, and people change as they go. But, you know, for a long time, people thought they had to stop being Jew. 
Jewish to become Christian. Then Messianic Jews came along and said, why do I have to stop being Jewish to follow the Messiah? And Messianic Jews were able to keep their culture. Uh, one of my friends, Baruch, um, he, <laughs> he had a terrible time when he met a real Christian and started to trust a real Christian, ended up living with this, because Christians had done everything evil to him that he knew had been done by Christians, from picking fights in elementary school to the Holocaust. And this guy did not fit the mold. And long, long, long story short, he eventually decided to follow Jesus. Now, then people tried to convert him. Like, well, you should eat pork. You know, now that you're a Christian, he had almost been a rabbi. He, his family buried him because they saw him as dead. They buried a branch saying, he's dead. I met him in Jerusalem. He was still following Jesus, still part of the... Uh, or Sister Pearlie isn't here in Arcus Street Baptist Congregation where she and I both went in Jerusalem. And, um, but he was still a Jew, but following Jesus. So I think sometimes we forget that what we're trying to be a witness of is Jesus. Not a particular culture or a political viewpoint or even a religion. Or a denomination. What about Jesus? Now that doesn't mean that connection with a church or other Jesus followers is unimportant. Obviously, it was really important for Saul to be welcomed by Ananias and to be part of, and Jesus said, this is, how can you be persecuting me? He took it very personally. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever seen a wife who says, you know, I love my husband. It's just disgusted with his body. I just can't stand his body. Eh, you know, there's probably some marriage issues. They might need to be sorted out there. But I know some people who are like, oh, yeah, I, I like Jesus. But church, uh-uh. No. Understandable. We're pretty human people in church, aren't we? There are certainly things you could be upset with disgusted by, um, if you're honest. Most of us who've been here long enough have had some things that we didn't appreciate. Maybe some tough things. Because we're human. We're full of those worst of all sinners who received grace. Right? But I don't think Saul could really continue to be just a follower of Jesus without some connection with his other followers. Right? So he was brought into the church. Of course, they didn't call it the church. They called it the way. The way to salvation. The way of Jesus. The way of the Lord. It was the way to follow Jesus. So, um, sometimes, I think we miss some opportunities. I'm going to be honest. So, I was in typing class. And one of my worst grades. Typing class. And I definitely got the impression that I was not a typist. And all through college, I found typists who type my papers. And uh, then I got a computer and in seminary, I did type my own papers. Uh, what really got me was being in Tanzania and email. Because if I wanted to have friends, I needed to type emails. And then by the time I was in uh, my PhD work, I was taking notes. And then, I, you know, I interview people in Swahili and type in English, and I, I became 
I don't think of myself still as a typist, but I, I use typing in order to have relationships, right? I'll tell you, it's the same thing with evangelism. When I was in 10th grade, actually through the whole time, I, I, I will tell people I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm not an evangelist. I don't think of myself as an evangelist. I don't, and my job, honestly, you guys think you're paying me to reach out you know, and do evangelism, except you make me spend all my time in meetings with Christians. And uh, pretty much my work is, is with Chris. You guys have more opportunities than I do, because often at your work, you have... But let me be honest, that's an excuse. Right? I, I can... So I, here's my deal. I would like to be a witness. Evangelism? I don't know about that. Okay. Now, the word evangelism just means, it comes from euangelion, it's the, the good news. It's just sharing good news. So sharing good news shouldn't be that hard, should it? But evangelism gets all scary. You know, that, that reminds me of those times we went out and did surveys and tried to hand people tracks and try to direct the conversation so we could get them where we wanted them. And that, that was good. I, I, I learned some things in those experiences and I had some pretty cool encounters. But it always felt a little, um, I don't know. A natural manipulator. One time I did, I went to the U of M as part of my evangelism class, and I was doing a survey thing because I thought I'm going to try the. And I went up to somebody and uh, 55,000 students at the U, and I turned around and it was somebody from my high school class. I hadn't seen for 10 years. Doing a PhD in chemistry. I'm like, oh, hi, Scott. How are you? He said, well, what were you going to ask me? I was like, oh, well, actually, I was going to do the survey thing. <laughs> And uh, so we talked about it. Turned out he'd become a Christian, and then he he left that to become a pantheist. And, and we had a lot of good conversations. And I'm still in touch with him on Facebook. And uh, we anyway. Long, long story short, sometimes God does use those things. Anything that kind of gets us out to having some kind of spiritual conversations can be useful. But most of the time, I'm kind of afraid. Uh, you know, that it's going to be awkward or something's going to be weird. Um, anybody else find evangelism kind of? Now, some of you I know are like, yes, that's my thing. Well, I'm grateful for you people. I wish you could do it all for me. And that's kind of how I sometimes think, like, I'll take care of this part and somebody else take care of that part. But, you know, in Acts, it seems like everybody was a witness. You met Jesus, you've witnessed Jesus. And you could just tell somebody else what you witnessed. That's what Paul did. He went around telling his story. He went around telling what he saw in Scripture. This is what I've witnessed. Right? I think it would be awesome for me to be a better witness, to do a little more. So would you pray? For me? And is it okay if I pray for you? And that we pray for each other that we could be better witnesses? So, okay, let me, let me ask you a question. Scale of 1 to 10, like from stone cold to hot passionate about witnessing and passion and practice, like what, where would you, where would you put yourself? Give yourself a number. Okay? You don't have to tell anybody else. Well, actually, it'd be great if you told somebody else. 
Okay, put your hands up. That's right. All right. All right, I see some fives, some threes, some tens. All right. Good. A lot of fives. People think they're average, I guess. But we got, we got a definite. So I would uh, like to move up one number. I'd, I'd say I'm probably a three. Trying to be honest. And I'd like us to start telling some stories. Tell some stories about how it's going. Okay? And then maybe we could challenge each other. So in this next, until Easter, <clears throat> I'm going to ask you, and maybe in our small groups we'll also ask, like a month from now, we'll say, so how are you doing on that? What's your number now, you think? Tell me a story about what's happened in the last month. Okay, you ready for that? We ask each other that, or we, we, uh, we break up and... Talk to each other a little bit about that. So for now, the question is, what's the next step? What's the one thing that would help you to be a better witness? Now, one of the things is, of course, you have to be in some relationships with some people who aren't already Christians. If you're going to, I mean, of course, we can witness to each other, but it also helps to be in relationship with people who aren't Christians. It also helps to bring up some things that are spiritual topics, like what's, what's your journey, what's, what's happening with you. Um, and so maybe you need to join a health club or, or a chess club or, uh, or, or get together with some other moms or, I don't know, somebody, somebody at your work in your neighborhood. How, how would you build a relationship? Or maybe some of you have lots of relationships. The question is, how could you move the conversation a little bit toward, now if this is something interesting to you, it's, you know, you know that people who something is interesting to them doesn't take long for the conversation to somehow steer into that topic, right? You know that, don't you? Somebody's into football, somebody's into whatever. Um, my daughter Rachel at one point said, Dad, I have a theory about witchcraft. I said, oh, cool, what's your theory about witchcraft? My theory is every conversation you get in, you talk about witchcraft. I was pretty into that. It's not the case anymore. I, I'm also no longer in Africa, so it's not as easy to get in that conversation. Um, but when people are into something, they tend to talk about it. So um, I, I have been having a, uh, a few conversations. One of the places I find is actually just Como Park. Now most, because I usually go to Como Park most days. Most of the time in Como Park, everybody just ignores each other. Walk by, you don't. But once in a while, you're able to kind of strike up a conversation. And, uh, you know, this, this past week I struck up, a, struck up a conversation in the park, found out somebody who's my neighbor um, on the same street, but had just moved in. And I also had a conversation yesterday with, with my actual neighbor who told me about, um, well, I was able to just tell him about what, you know, He'd had COVID, and I was told I'd had surgery, and then I talked about how God had healed me, and the stuff I just told you, that how the church was so helpful to me, and, and then he started talking about how his parents, his mom used to be a missionary or whatever, and he's not really doing church, but, um, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, somebody else I met in Coma Park, who found out he works at this restaurant, I go there, and he goes, oh yeah, that's, that's great, you guys have Bible study, can I come to your church the same day? And he keeps talking about it. Somebody else uh, just helped them take some pictures, they've been here a few times. Um, so sometimes 
Somebody else just they're they're uh, you're cross country skiing. There's this. He's the same age as me. We struck up a conversation. Within a week, totally different place, not Como, but Battle Creek. He says, Steve, like, what? Oh, yeah, we met you uh, just the other day. And, and so with him, we did a bunch of rounds and caught up and found out a lot about each other. And uh, they just moved here during the pandemic, don't have many friends. So, we, so what's my next step? Probably I need to be praying for those people regularly. And maybe I need to call and say, hey, I guess I can't cross-country ski right now, but uh, <laughs> what, what, uh, what else would you like to do? Um, so is there ways that you can build relationships? And then just to kind of talk about maybe something God's, you know, the kind of stuff you talk with your Christian friends about, like God provided this for me or God healed me in this way. And you don't have to use Christianese about it, but you can still talk about what's happening in life. Here's the thing. I, uh, this is a... A friend of mine um, did my PhD with, of course, he'd already written three books before he started the PhD, but done some good research. Rick Richardson is at, uh, at um, Wheaton. Um, he says, so this book is called You Found Me. It's kind of a playoff of another book called You Lost Me about millennials. And it says, new research on how unchurched nuns, millennials, and irreligious are surprisingly open to Christian faith. So he's taught, he did a bunch of surveys with those kind of folks. And it turns out that like more than half of them are actually still considered some Protestant or Catholic. They just don't go to church. And 75% of those think someday they'll probably go to church. Or no, no, 75% of those say if somebody invited them, they would go to church. 75%. And when, when he asked them, you know, is the, is the church good or bad for, for society, like 2% said it's really bad. The majority said church is pretty good for society. And so it's surprising. So he says the problem is not actually in those people out there, our evil culture. He says, for whatever reasons, because we used to have power and we don't, or political disputes, or, or maybe because a few atheists have to raise their voices really loud in order to be heard so they sound kind of strident. For whatever reasons, we think that there's this really big barrier that the evil culture and those people don't want to hear about. He says, actually, the barrier is here. The barrier is us. Because we think they are against. They don't like the church. They don't want to hear about Jesus. Now, they may not like our labels. Um, sometimes our labels can get in the way because it reminds them of something else or some news thing made them think that people are... But actually, the first step usually is for somebody to trust a Christian. How are they going to trust a Christian? Well, they have to get to know a Christian. And that's just writing emails. That's just building a relationship. That's just, uh, you know, getting to know somebody. So I want to challenge us in the next couple months till Easter. Well, what could be the next step? Maybe you need to find a way to build a relationship. Find a way to um, just bring up the conversation. Maybe just pray. 
you just pray. That's the best thing you can do, is pray, right? But as you pray, you might get some instructions, like Ananias did. Go to this address. Somebody is waiting for you. Or you might just get what Barnabas did. Hey, this guy seems like nobody's welcoming him. And I, you know, I heard that he was really bad, but let me go find out. Of course, we're going to have to ask God to deal with our fear. I'm going to have to ask God to deal with my fear. What is it I'm afraid of? Maybe that's a good place to start. Um, but anyway, I want to I challenge us to be witnesses. What's your next step? To, well, two things. First of all, maybe you're not sure if you've really experienced God's overflowing grace. Maybe you're not really sure you're ready to receive that grace. Maybe there's still those worst parts of you. Jesus wants to welcome you. Jesus is after you. Even if you're watching this on YouTube, Facebook, six months from now, Jesus is after you. Secondly, if you know God's grace, you've received it, let it overflow. What pipelines might you need to build? What places might you need to let it overflow? So let's pray. Lord, we are grateful. So grateful that your overflowing grace came to us. And we are so grateful that somebody reached out to us, welcomed us. We're so grateful that when we go to reach out to others, you've already been there. You're way ahead of us. Jesus, you're pursuing us and you're pursuing those around us out of your love and your great grace. Would you help us to see them the way you see them? Everybody else saw Saul as this evil, wild animal after them. You saw him as your chosen vessel. Take the good news to the Gentiles and others. Would you help us to trust you that you're working in our lives and those around us? And speak to us, show us how to fit into the flow of what you're doing.